0: Welcome the faith of our fathers this week we feature Percy Crawford and his weekly television broadcast youth on the March today's program is selected from broadcasts that air between 1949 and 1951 Percy's first experience in radio to reach lost souls came in 1925 when he was a student at Biola the Bible Institute of Los Angeles in 1924 Biola had an extremely powerful radio station, KTBL, perhaps the first all-religious radio station in the world. Percy got up to the microphone and preached to a large audience. He understood the power of radio as a medium to get his message across to those who needed Jesus in their lives.
1: of the air presents the Pioneer Gospel Telecast, Youth on the March, the 20th century crusade. American history reveals that our nation has been built by young men with a vision. This vision was based upon a sincere reverence of both God and country. Such a man of today is Percy Crawford, whom God has raised up to challenge the youth of the 20th century to preserve that foundation and to build upon it for a greater tomorrow.
2: A wealthy man was dying. He'd lived his life. He amassed up a great fortune and he was dying. And his loved ones gathered around his deathbed and uh, he said, I'm a failure. I've wasted my life. Oh, they said, you haven't. you haven't. you've accomplished great things. You've done a lot of good. You've amassed a fortune you your head of corporations. <laughs> he said it as he, he was dying, huh? I've wasted my life. I've done nothing for the Son of God. And with that in mind, as I was thinking of that today, I turned to Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 33rd verse, and I read where Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's what I want to talk to you about, just for a few moments. Uh, Every person should have heaven as his goal. Every person should think of that day, the ultimate, that which is sure to come, which is death. It's coming to you, it's coming to me. And the thing of importance in your life and my life is, do we know where we're going? Are we headed for heaven? That's the important thing. You know, there were two friends of mine who used to come to Pine Brook, our summer camp conference ground in the Pocono Mountains, and one of them died. And to make the arrangements for the funeral, I called them up uh, in a day or two, and uh, I, when the phone answered, they answered the phone, I, I said, is Mrs. So-and-so there? It was the wrong name. And the answer came back on the telephone, no, she's not here, she's dead. I've made a mistake. But you know, sometime they're going to call you up and they're going to call me up and somebody's going to answer, no, no, he's, he's not here, he's dead. They're going to answer for you, no, no, she's not here, she's dead. Where are you going to go? That's the important thing. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek, seek ye first. Why the people there were all wondering where they would get their garments and where they would get their clothes and about their food and about their lodging. That's important. It's important to have money and live. But Jesus said, with all of that, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I believe when God brings to pressure upon you and makes you conscious of the fact that down in your own very soul, your life is sin-stained and black and deserving of hell, when you realize that you're sinking and that you're lost in the pool of despair, then you'll seek God. Then you'll seek to reach out and want salvation through the Son of God. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This week I read in the newspaper that in Oakland, California, a pigeon was flying along and hit a high-tension wire and cut off all the electricity of the greater part of the city. A pigeon just caused a short circuit, and everything became dark. And in the lives of many of you throughout this past year, as you've been thinking about yourself and your life and been taking inventory, you realize that into your life has come the stain of sin that has blackened and marred and spoiled your life. As the prophet of old cried, Thou, God, seest me, And tonight, as God looks down into your heart, he beholds a cesspool of sin. Oh, I know on the outside you may look all right. Your neighbors may say you're all right. But into your life as into my life has come the stain of sin and blackened and marred and stained it. And that's why Jesus says to you, these are his words. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'm glad to tell you in spite of yourself. In spite of your sin, there's a righteousness and a cleanness that God will give to you regardless if you're the deepest and blackest and worst sinner in all of these great United States. That God can cover you. blot out all that sin, black and stained as it is. Give you righteousness. That 1900 years ago, broken and bruised and battered, Jesus made his way up the hill Calvary and there on the cross he died for you. Not that person beside you, for you. But you've got to seek him. You've got to prepare to meet your God. You've got to receive him. You've got to accept him. You've got to make that decision in your heart whereby you appropriate what God has done for you. You've got to receive all of that righteousness. And he says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you say nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. He called those things, things. They're important. But my friend, there's something more important than that, and that is the saving of your soul that you might go to heaven and not to hell. All these things, he said, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And I'm glad to tell you if you'll put God first in your life this year, God will bring into your life the things that you need. A while back when I was in California, I was with a glee club from a certain school there. And we had our service, and I received a phone call. A A man that knew me years ago when I was a newspaper boy delivering newspapers to his home. He was dying and his wife said, will you come and see him? She heard I was going into the ministry. And some of us fellas jumped in a car and went over to Pasadena and went into his home and he was dying. And I took my testament out and started reading the 23rd Psalm. He said, no, get, get the book. She said, I know what he wants. She went and got his Bible, big Bible. And I read the 23rd Psalm and I read uh, uh, portions of John and, and then I talked to him about his soul and about seeking first the kingdom of God. And finally... He put his trust in Jesus, took my hand, we bowed our heads and prayed and he prayed, called on God to save him for Jesus' sake. I went my way. The next day I called up and I said, how is he? That's why she said he died. But she said he left a message for his boy. I knew his boy. He wasn't a good fella. He was in the penitentiary on different occasions. And she said he left a message for his boy, Fred. And with this, tell Fred not to waste his life like I did. Tell Fred not to waste his life like I did. He had, he had spent his life in vain. At the tail end, he called on God. And tonight, God wants you right where you are, this, at this very moment, to seek first the kingdom of God, for you don't know what 1950 has in store for you. Who knows but what the atomic bombs may come and start bursting this year. Who knows but what within a week or two or five weeks or a year, uh, death may knock at your door. You don't know, you say you're scaring me. No, I'm not, I'm talking to you about real things. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I'm glad I did that. I'm glad that last night in the meeting where I was, my eight-year-old boy gave his heart to Jesus through his tears. Yes, sir, this thing's real in our lives, and that's why I come to you as your friend to ask you, will you receive him and accept him and claim him right now as your own? I hope you will. Maybe bow our heads in a word of prayer. As the fellows sing and Christians pray. And now as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I've been talking right from my heart to your heart. There you are looking in on us tonight. You know these things I've been talking about are real. You know that you're not ready to die. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I wonder how many of you right there now, right by your television set now, will bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my heart tonight. Put the date down. Write me the box one, Philadelphia. I'd love to hear of it. We'll send you Gospel of John and help you in this, this decision. Our Father, bless these. May there be a great many tonight throughout this nation. Needy souls, sin-sick souls, turn to the Son of God. Seek Him first, putting God first in their lives. We pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Why, how do you do, ladies and gentlemen? You're just in time to see and hear Youth on the March, coming to you on 22 television stations throughout the nation on this great ABC network. And now our four sons, Don, Dick, Dan, and Dean, and Donna Lee down there, they're going to sing When His Wounded Hand Touched Mine. Hello, pal. Their is going to play for them, all right? Weary, worn, and
3: spent Filled with discontent Wondrous life began
2: Thank you, boys. Hands. Hands. Hands are wonderful things. Hands can do good and hands can do evil. Hands can accomplish great things and hands can be great failures. Look at your hands. Just look down there now at your hands. We've been singing about hands. We want to talk just for a few moments about them. Will you listen there now? Let me talk to you about your hands. About the hands in the Bible. Interesting hands that I found. I was uh, reading over in Mark, the third chapter, where it says there was a man there with a withered hand. He had a withered hand, this man, and Jesus touched his hand, and it became whole. He said, stretch forth thine hand, and he did, and it became whole. A withered hand, a hand that was useless, a hand that was no good. He carried it around as so much extra cargo, a hand that was absolutely helpless and useless in the road, a, a, a useless hand. And I thought tonight, as I was going over this, of the many hands round about the nation tonight that are useless, the many souls that are calloused, hands that are calloused, hands that are hardened, hearts that are hardened, and people who have turned away from the touch of the Savior's hand on theirs. Calloused hands, hardened hands, withered hands, mark the third chapter of the first verse. And then I noticed something else over here, hands that needed cleansing. In James 4, 8, it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. God admonishes us and says that to you and to me. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And I believe that's so true. Uh, Listening and looking tonight are men whose hands have been uh, connected with crime, hands that have been soiled by sin hands that have been up to everything and spoiled and blotched the souls and lives of people. Your hands, perhaps, tonight are without God. And God says to you a command, cleanse your hands. You say, oh, I would to God, I could get the spot from my hands, the things that have blackened and blotched it and smeared it. Then, my friend, God provides a way. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. You know, there's some bad characters that look in on this program and good ones characters like yours and mine that have been sin-stained and hands that have been spoiled and blotched by sin and you need cleansing and washing. I say they're calloused hands. Then there are hands that need cleansing. And then there were hands that were convicted, I found, in Matthew 27, the 24th verse, where Pilate saith unto him, uh, he took water, and he washed his hands before the multitude, and he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He didn't want the responsibility and the guilt of Jesus upon his hands, and so he said, uh, uh, don't hold me accountable. I don't want anything to do with it. And he sent him away to the cross. And all the water in the River Jordan wouldn't wash that man clean from the guilt of the blood of the Son of God. He said, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? He said, I don't want to do anything. But he couldn't get away from it. And tonight, my friend, that's your responsibility. Not what you're going to do with that hypocrite or with that fell up the street or that stumbling, faltering, professing Christian. But you, what are you going to do with him? He was convicted in the heart. His wife said, don't have anything to do with that just man. But you've got to. And what you do with him, my friend, the choice you make of that one who was crucified for you depends on what he's going to do with you. Everything hinges on that, what you do with him. That's the tragedy of it. I say hands that were convicted, washed his hands, but not from the guilt. And then I noticed something else, convincing hands. Thomas said, well, now listen here. I, I don't believe he was raised from the grave. I, I'm a skeptical. I want to see. I'm a pragmatist. I want to know all about this thing. I, I'm skeptical about this religious stuff. And so one day Jesus appeared to him in John twenty twenty seven. The record says, reach hither, Jesus said, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believe come on, he said, here I am, resurrect. These men weren't dummies. They were trained intellectual, scholarly men. Jesus said, you don't believe, all right, come on, put your finger right in my hands. Hands that were pierced, hands that were, listen, don't let any fake come along and tell you he's the Messiah. You make him prove it by putting out his hands and showing you the nail prints in his hands. Don't let any fogey tell you that, no sir, any fake. There's just one that has his hands pierced, his name is Jesus. And there on the cross they stretched him out and ran the nails through his hands and through his feet and pulled the crown of thorns down on his brow for fun. Don't you fool yourself. He did it for you and for your sin. And you refuse to let him into your life and ignore him and stiff-arm him and reject him and say, I'll take my chances, nothing ahead of you but hell. And you'll bear the same punishment that Jesus bore when he hung on the cross and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why? Because of my sin and yours why forsook him. I say here were hands that were convincing, the hands of Jesus. I noticed first of all calloused hands, hands that needed cleansing, hands that were convicted, hands that were convincing, and lastly I jotted down in my notes hands that claimed him. When he was all through, he didn't need an angel to come to him, but he hung there and he cried, My God, where art thou? And a voice came and spoke to him. And Jesus said as his last words, into thy hands, into thy hands, in Luke 23:46, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Ah, that's great. You know, you won't have your loved ones, those sitting right there in the room with you, they won't be there when you're dying. You can swear and be smart and think you're big he-man, and you can uh, blaspheme and think you're tough. You'll be different when you're dying. When the atomic bombs burst, and when you're in trouble and sorrow and agony, and uh, your friends, supposed so called, left you, and you're there dying, the angel won't help you. Your mother, your dad, your wife, your husband, your loved—they <laughs> can't help you. There's one who can, and his name is Jesus. And blessed God, he said, "Because I live, ye too shall live." Why? Because his hands were pierced for you, broken, battered. Jesus does not want us to journey alone, but offers his nail-pierced hand. He whispers, I love you and I'll guide you home to dwell in Canaan's fair land. Then let's slip our hand in his nail-pierced one, the hand that was scarred by our sin, the hand that will guide us to life-setting sun and will cause us heaven to win, you and me. Will you put your hand in his tonight? I hope you will. May we bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I've talked to you just like I talked to my dad. Just like I talked to my brother before he died. That he might have a savior and a hope beyond the grave. You need that tonight. Your hands, look at them. Spotted. Stained. You need cleansing and washing. You can have it when you trust him. And I wonder right there now by your television set, you there... Why don't you just bow your head and put the date down and claim him as your Savior and come on out and show your colors for him. He'll bless you as you put your hand in his. Our Father, bless these. May there be many throughout the nation tonight. Open their hearts' door as Jesus knocks and wants admission. May they let him in and find the joy of having a hand that will take them clear through to glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From Maryland, dear Dr. Crawford, Last night I heard your television program for the first time and am happily looking forward to enjoying many more. I think the greatest thing television can do for me and many more like me is to bring God into my home. And that is what has done. Thank you for the wonderful music and sermons. Thank you. We'd like to remind all of you folks out there once again that we're offering our lovely uh, about 12-page picture scripture calendar here and uh, 12 large pictures of our staff here on Youth on the March, different ones that will interest you and Donna Lee and the Four Sons and the quartet. Very nice picture of the quartet, such as it is, considering what they had to work on. Now, you can get these this calendar free this year if you write in for it tonight to Youth on the March, post office box number one. My, that's easy to remember. Anywhere in the United States, just put box one. Philadelphia, we'll get it. And I'll enjoy it and appreciate your writing to get one of these calendars. Say, will you wait there just a moment by your television set and by your radio while I talk to you about a very unpopular subject right from the Bible, the Word of God. You don't mind a sermon. Do you? And I'm not going to preach at you. just want to talk to you right from my heart to your heart about something that's vital in your life, something that's important. Listen to it. Over in Luke, the 16th chapter and the 19th verse, Jesus said this. Here to me is a story that Jesus told that there was a certain man. Not a hypothesis, not a guess, not a theory, not a a myth. But he said there was a certain man. I want you to bear that in mind. Now, Last week I mentioned to you how Jesus was the only authority on this question of eternity. And I spoke to you on, is there really a hell? You recall that? And uh, today I want to talk to you on, what will hell be like? Now that's not a popular subject, not easy for me to give it to you. I I don't want to talk on this subject, but I'm a minister of the gospel. I have vowed when I became a preacher that I would declare the message of the Bible, whether men liked it or not, is beside the point. If God has spoken, then we must take what God has spoken. Now, out of the 12 times I showed you last week where the Greek word Gehenna was used in the New Testament, Jesus used them 11 times. Now, he's an authority. Nobody else went beyond the grave and came back. Muhammad didn't, Buddha didn't, Zoroaster didn't, none of the cults and isms, nobody went behind the curtain of death and came back. Jesus did. So he knows. He knows what he's talking about. Here it says, a certain man. Now I want to point out just two or three things here. Now now follow with me if you care to turn in your Bible to Luke the 16th chapter and follow with me. I underlined a couple of things. Notice in the 23rd verse it says, uh, here was a man who saw. It says, he lifted up his eyes and saw, he was conscious in hell. Now Jesus said this was a certain man, a certain definite man who, when he went to hell, he saw, he was conscious, he lifted up his eyes, he could see, well you say that's impossible. How can, you, when you die, your eyes disintegrate, they return to dust as God said they would, but God is going to give the sinner a, a new body. You're going to be conscious, God says, in hell. He says they'll see, they'll have eyes to see in hell, conscious. Then I noticed something else here, that they suffered, It says, being in torment. He said, I am tormented in this flame. He was conscious of the torment and the suffering and the agony that he was going through. He suffered. Not only saw with his eyes, but he suffered. He was conscious of feeling, conscious that he was suffering. (laughs) One of my professors at the university in one of the classes I was taking, he said, I don't know why he got on this subject. It was a subject on history that I was taking. And he said, some people believe in a hell. He says, how in the world is a person going to suffer forever in hell? In flames, they're going to burn up. He says, how can that be? He said, is God going to give the sinner an asbestos body? <laughs> Everybody laughed. Hundred and some in the class laughed. Big joke. But he just about guessed it. God says over in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he says to the sinner, God is going to give him a body as it pleases him. God's going to give the sinner a body. Now, we're doing wonderful things today. It's amazing what science is doing today. And do you mean to tell me God can't bring a sinner out of the grave and put him on his feet and give him a body that won't burn up? You bet your life. In hell, he'll be tormented. He'll suffer, live on and on. And he shouted. He cried. It says he cried. Have mercy on me. He cried big tears. People going to cry in hell? You say, how can he when he's suffering in flames? He'll have tears. Don't worry. Peel of eyes. People will be very penitent then. They'll come and cry and say, oh, my God, where's my... Sure, mine will get very... Did you ever notice how many people get religious when they're dying? It's amazing how religious people get. How many soldier boys, too, get religious when they're dying? But when they're well and strong, they forget about God. Anybody can call on God when you're dying. Any fool can do that. Take something to live for him. Stand up before the bunch and say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's more stuff than you've got. He cried. One fellow said to me, Well, suppose I do go to hell, he's going to have lots of company. I said, But you won't enjoy it. You'll be so conscious of your own agony and suffering, you'll cry out to God. He shouted, cried, and he made supplication. He made a prayer. And he said, Have mercy. (laughs) There's no mercy in hell. Mercy's over. Mercy starts at the cross and ends with the grave. When you get to the grave, my friend, and your last breath is taken, brother, you're all through. You can do all you want, but nothing will get you out of the flames of hell. You're finished. Because you've deliberately spit in the face of the Son of God and said, I don't want him. Go ahead. You want that? Go ahead. Jesus lifted the curtain, and he said they made supplication have mercy. Another thing I noticed right here, read it. He surveyed. He said, son, remember. Son, remember? Al Capone have a conscience? You bet your life. You know how he died? You read how he died in agony, remembering torments creeping in upon him, everybody to kill him. Sure. That's right. In hell, men will remember their deeds. Friend of mine called on a man in Sing Sing. He was a tough guy. They put him in solitary. They gave him the works. He was bad. And they brought him out. He was broken. When they brought him out, he was hysterical. He said, I can stand all kinds of things. But he said to sit in there in the darkness and do nothing but think and think and think and think. I can't do that. I can't stand that and it broke him. He remembered. You'll remember in hell. you remember how you heard a preacher stand up and television come into your home and into that place where you are there and remind you that you need Christ as your Savior, and you crack. You said, look, he thinks there's a hell. Smart guy, eh? Okay, go ahead. But I'll bear witness against you in the judgment day that you heard the story of Jesus and his love, and you'll cry for mercy throughout eternity, and the flames of hell will get up around you, and you won't find it. You'll be lost, and you'll be sent into the caverns of hell, crying, my God, my God, where art thou? You know you had a chance. You blame some little hypocrite. You thought, well, he, how, what did he know about it? But it's Jesus that spoke. I didn't speak. One more thing. He said, oh, send somebody, send somebody to, to, to tell my brothers. I've got five brothers. Oh, no, Jesus said, no, nah, no. Nah. They won't listen to them. He said if one ray was raised from the grave, they wouldn't even listen. He says, beside that, we're separated. There's a great gulf between heaven and hell. And you can't jump from one to the other. Money won't buy your way there. No, sir. You can't get over when you're in hell, you're there, and when you're in heaven, you're there. Great gulf fish. You wonder why I cried when I put my arm around my brother and prayed that he might trust Jesus? Because I believe there's a hell. I believe just like Jesus. And I come to you tonight and beseech you in the name of the blessed Son of God that you turn and say, God help Why, God says it. He puts the words there. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will you die? Why will you die? When tonight you've got a chance to come to the cross, the blessed cross, and find forgiveness. Will you come? I hope you will. May we bow our heads in prayer. tonight to talk to you on this subject. It's a horrible subject. I'd like to talk more on the love of God, but it's there. There's the pit ahead. And tonight, why don't you bow your head right there by your television set or by your radio and say, God help me. I'm going to trust this Savior before it's too late. I'm going to be ready for the judgment day. Then you won't have to fear hell. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do it there now and write me to Box 1, Philadelphia. Our Father, bless these. Oh, may there be a great host throughout the nation tonight. Turn to the Son of God and find forgiveness and know that there's life in trusting Jesus. We pray in his blessed name. Amen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you have just listened to Youth on the March with a message by Dr. Percy Crawford, president of the King's College. This is distinctly a fake work. We want you not only to pray for the needs of this work, but to ask God what share you are to have in it. If you're interested in this program continuing, let Dr. Crawford hear from you this week. These programs can continue on this, your station, only as you stand loyally by this whole missionary work. The preceding program, originally telecast by ABC in New York, has come to you by special video recording. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
0: Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.